0: Bible, or a smartphone, or a tablet, or something. You're gonna be looking at the text. You can turn to Exodus 35. Exodus 35. So as the parents work their way back in, um, we've been in Exodus now for for several months, and we're actually down to two sermons. We've got this week and next week, and we're gonna we'll be done with Exodus. Um, I hope Exodus has been. Um, a good, a, a good run for us. I think it has as we've looked at this Old Testament book that has some of the most familiar stories of the Old Testament and then obviously a lot of text that you're like, man, I've never spent any time in it at all. Um, Exodus, I think, has been a good reminder of, of why we preach just straight through books, um, that we, we do this intentionally where it forces us to preach passages that would be easy to overlook. Um, and, and this morning's passage, honestly, is probably one of those. Um, that we, we, you wouldn't just run to um, if you weren't working your way just kind of chapter by chapter through a book. Um, and so we'll finish the month of April in Exodus and then first Sunday in May we will be moving um, into a new book in the New Testament. A um, little bit of recap as we kind of set the scene for this morning. Exodus is the story of God's people being rescued, right? That we see in the beginning of Exodus They have been slaves in Egypt for 400 plus years. They cry out asking God to hear them and he does. And by his mighty hand he comes in and rescues them through Moses' leadership, through um, plagues and miracles. He rescues them out of Pharaoh's hand, leads them through the Red Sea, and then begins the wilderness trek where he is taking care of them, providing for their needs in miraculous ways, um, giving them manna day in and day out. Right, reminding us that His grace is sufficient every day, but we don't get to stockpile it for the future. Right, that we have to trust Him day in and day out. We've seen them now camped out at Sinai, where they've been for months now. I'm um, hearing the law being given; that the people stood around Sinai in fear and trembling as God speaks to them, giving them the law. Right, that they have now been rescued. They've been set up with a law and a covenant. I mean, they've been receiving a place of worship in the tabernacle um, that we spent many, um, several weeks looking at the tabernacle back in uh, chapters 25 through 31. And so this morning's text is a little bit unique, because if you were to take the chapters that we're going to look at, and and we're going to look at a a big chunk, and you'll see why here in a minute, but we're going to look basically at chapters 35 through 39, if you were to take those um, chapters and set them on top of like chapters 25 through 31, right? There's a lot that is like verbatim the same. Now there's there is new content, but a lot of it is exactly the same because it's walking through the the priestly garments, how they should be made. Um, it's walking through the tabernacle, how it should be built, and then it's the actual implementation of those things. And so what was what had would have been like 13 or so chapters in a row about the tabernacle was interrupted with the golden calf, right? That in the midst of this covenant being confirmed, right, as, as, as Moses is still on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, that those waiting in the camp couldn't wait any longer, and they chose to rebel. They chose not to trust God. They chose to say, like, we we understand that, that you're this, but we want something we can control, and they create a calf, right? Like, they took to worship, To say that this was the God that led us out, even though they knew that it wasn't. And that then there's consequences that come from that. As God comes down and He sends Moses back, and Moses comes and He breaks the Ten Commandments. And God says, look, I'm going to give you what you want. You're still going to get to go to the Promised Land. I'm just not going to go with you. Right? The whole point of the Exodus was this, was that God was meant to be with His people, and His people are meant to be with Him. It's this thread throughout Scripture. And Moses mediates and intercedes on their behalf saying, God, we, we don't want to go without you. God says, if I go with you, I'm going to consume you. I'm going to destroy you. Like, they've, they've rebelled in the infancy of this. It's not like they've gone for years and then they finally have started to stumble. Like, it's still fresh and they've just said, God, we'll do whatever you want. And then they immediately begin to worship an idol. They build this golden calf and yet God reveals that He is merciful and He is gracious and he re-covenants with them. He confirms the covenant. And so we have this scene, right? And it's bracketed with the tabernacle on the front end and the tabernacle on the back end. So the question then is why? Like why so much verbatim? Because if you, had, if you were reading through Exodus like in a yearly Bible reading plan, you might have made it through Exodus 25-31. through 31. And then you get to the golden calf and you're glad there's some action again and you're not talking about garments anymore, right? And then you turn the page after this um, scene, this tent scene where the people are devastated because they, they're afraid they're gonna lose God. And all of a sudden it's back to the tabernacle and you're like, oh, what's going on? Right, like maybe I can just kind of skim through this because it seems really familiar and let's just, let's just move on, right? But there's a reason, right? Like scripture doesn't have repetition for no reason, So, I want us to look at this. Why why is it here? Why does it bracket this situation? And so, we're going to read, I'm beginning in verse 4 of chapter 35, and then we're going to try to answer some of these questions. So, remember, during the initial, um, sorry, chapters 25 through 31, the initial tabernacle, Moses is on the mountain mountain enter like he's talking to God and God has given him the plans and telling them all of this so the people have not yet received it they Moses comes down early because of their sin with the golden calf Um, and then Moses returns so now we are um, Moses is now telling the congregation what God has planned for them so Moses says to the congregation of the people of Israel verse 4 this is the thing that the Lord has commanded take from among you a contribution to the Lord Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold and silver and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting for the effort and the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, The tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat, the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light, and the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle. "...the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles, its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. And then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses." And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him, and they brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, for all of its service and for the holy garments. And so they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings, signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tan ram skins or goat skins brought them. And everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood or any of of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in purple and blue and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and the spices and oil for the light for the anointment and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. All right. It's kind of setting the scene that we've got to understand that they've just come out of um, worshiping this golden calf. They've just understood that God had told them, I'm going to consume you. I'm not going to go with you. Like that, they they were devastated by this word and that Moses has interceded and mediated on their behalf and that God has once again said, look, my love is steadfast. My faithfulness is steadfast, right? I'm a forgiving God and that he has re-upped the covenant with them. And so now, coming out of that, that has just occurred. And Moses is now standing before the congregation, laying out the plans for the tabernacle, giving it, saying, Here's what we're going to have to do. Here's what we're going to build. Here's what we're going to need. The people attempted a shortcut to God's presence, right? Like they attempted to create something that they could control, something that they could say that that was God. And yet, God had already made a way. He had said, I'm going to. I'm going to give you the plans for the tabernacle, and you're going to set it in the center of your camp, and my presence is going to be there. I'm going to be with you. It was going to be this tangible reminder of Mount Sinai that they could pick up and move a reminder that God has taken care of them, and that He is with them, and that He has given them the law, and that He has rescued them. And they had looked to replace that with a lesser thing. And so, why do we have this repeat that will then continue in chapters 36 and 37 and 38 and 39? Because God is showing them grace. He's showing his faithfulness. He is showing restoration. Because this very easily could have followed with, and then the Lord wiped them out. And he would have been right and justified to do it as they had rebelled against the God who had rescued them. He could have started over with Moses. like He, was, he told Moses, I'll start over with you. And Moses says, no, please, like all of us. like He interceded on behalf of all of them. And so what we're seeing is that God is going to see his plan completed. He's going to see what he has set in motion, done. And so the tabernacle is repeated because it wasn't just this bygone thing. It was like this is the point, is that my presence is going to be with you, and you're going to build this as I've asked. You're not taking shortcuts. You're doing it the way that I have asked and that I have intended. But what we can see in Scripture is this, that God's intent is to be with man, is to be with, with humanity, It's why he created the world, was that he was in the garden with Adam and Eve, and it was going to be them forever. And then we see that God rescues his people, right, so that God can be with man, and his people can be with him. And we're going to see this with Jesus, that Jesus comes so that God can be with man, and man can be with him. But we also see that not only is that God's intent, but that our heart, humanity's heart, is bent towards rebellion, and it's bent towards not trusting God, and it's, it's bent towards running from the one who has said, you can trust me, that I'm going to give you all that you need, and there's nothing that you're going to lack, and you're going to have all that, that you need is in me. And we go, ah, I'm not so sure. So Adam and Eve turn, and they're like, we think we can gain something by sinning, right? We think we can gain something from not doing what you want. We see the people in Exodus, the Hebrews, do the same thing. They're like, God, that's great and all that you've rescued us, but we want something we can control. We see this in our own hearts, right? That our bent is not to trust God. It's to say, God, I think I've got this figured out. I think I'm good. And then we see the consequence of that. that there is, there's death, right? That Adam and Eve are removed from the garden. An animal is sacrificed to cover them, and they are removed from the presence of God. We see here in Exodus that the people, right, Three thousand die, a plague comes upon them, and God nearly removes his presence from them because they've chosen to rebel and to sin. And we know that for us the wages of sin is death. Right, that apart from Christ, right, we deserve death, damnation, right? That we have no ground to stand on, that we are dependent upon the mercy of a kind and faithful God. And so when we look at Exodus 35 and, and following in and these chapters that you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to read more about the tabernacle. Would we read it and go, there's a faithful God whose plan was not thwarted by the sin of man. That he, he, what he has set in motion will come to be. That we can take heart in that, that the tabernacle was built to his specifications because that's who he is and he was going to see it through. And that when he tells us that there is a day that we will be with him again because of the sacrifice of Christ. That we can trust that his plan is not thwarted by our sin and by our rebellion. That he sees it through. That he is in the process of rescuing us and making us his forever. That they are receiving undeserved grace. So when, can you imagine the scene, right? Like they're fearful that they're going to die. When Moses comes off the mountain, like he's gone to intercede on their behalf, and now he stands before them and he gets up and they're like, Is this it? Like, like where is he leading us? Or we're gonna die, right? And Moses begins to say, We're gonna build the tabernacle. God's presence is gonna remain. Can you imagine? Like they wouldn't have been bored with this. They're like, What do we do? Right? Like, what can we give? How do we make sure this is built? God is going to stay with us. He's going to move with us when we go to the promised land. This would have been undeserved mercy and grace, and they would have rejoiced in worship because God was still there. He was still faithful to them. That they would see the tabernacle and know what had almost been lost was God's presence, and what they had gained was His mercy, His grace poured out upon them is it would be built in their camp and be moved with them for for generations to come but we see this as a as a community right like the, as a people they would have seen this but i want you to think this also happens as individuals because in chapter 39 we see the priestly garments being made and it's talking about Aaron being set up as priest And if you were just to turn to this section of Scripture, you'd be like, yeah, Aaron's, you know, he's Moses' brother, he's a priest, yeah, that's great. Aaron is the one who said, let's build a calf. Aaron is the one who took the gold and put it in the fire and shaped it into a calf. Aaron's the one that brought it out, right? It was his sin that he led the people that nearly had the whole nation destroyed. 3,000 people were killed over this. Right, their blood was on his hands. And yet we're gonna see that Aaron is still gonna be installed as priest. Right, this morning, maybe you come in feeling like you're too far gone. Or you, you know there have been times in your life where your sin was ever before you and you felt like the blood was on your hands and you're like, the Lord would strike me down if I came close. Right, this is Aaron Right, like Aaron has the the death of folks have occurred because of his sin, and now God is installing him as priest. He knew better; his sin was huge and it was costly. Do you remember how the priest was set forth after they were dressed and before they were put into office? Back in 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 those earlier chapters, it says that they would go and they would lay their hands on the on the bull or on the rams, and then that knowing saying i'm putting my sin on it and it would be sacrificed instead of them we we read that earlier and you're like yeah yeah that's that's cool imagery i want you to picture aaron now putting his hands on that bull with the thought of 3000 people dead with the thought that he had rebelled against his God and attempted to lead the people to worship a golden calf. And his hands are on that bull because God's saying, I'm still going to use you. And instead of you dying as you deserve, this bull's going to die. And his hands are on it. You think that was flippant? Right? He's putting it on there going, this should happen to me. (laughs) Like this shouldn't be the bull, it should be me. That he would have been humbled. Humbled. At the undeserved mercy and grace that he was receiving. And then as they put those garments on him, he wasn't beating his chest in pride, going, Look at me. He would have been awed, right, at the humility and of the grace that he was receiving, knowing that he had no right to be in that position. Right? There's something about this that should probably be a little bit distasteful and offensive to us, right? Of like him, no, pick somebody else. It's his fault. It's his fault. Church, would we be reminded by this shocking story that I hope also is beautiful because if you've been in that desperate state where you saw your mercy and your grace poured out that you did not get what you deserved. Right? That's the gospel. The gospel is, is we don't get what we deserve. We, we deserve death and bloodletting to occur. And what we get is mercy and grace that far outweighs our sin, that far outruns our sin. And scripture doesn't say there's a cap on that. Until you sin this much, or until you sin this far, or until you sin this long, or until you do these sins, it says the mercy and grace is available through Christ, that his grace outruns our sin. Right, and that's not a flippant thing. We're like, yeah, let's go do whatever we want now because God has to forgive me. It's this image of us going, Jesus was crushed. He was mocked and beaten and humiliated in place of that bull, in place of us. That we don't get what we deserve. Aaron did not get what he deserved because God is faithful and merciful and forgiving. But he is just and a sacrifice had to occur. I think we also need to note here the reason the tabernacle follows this scene, the reason it doesn't just move on, the reason it shows us it being built, is that God expects obedience. And God had told Moses, this is what the people are going to do. They're going to build this, and my presence is going to reside. And then they sin and run off and do their own thing, and he doesn't go, oh oh well. We had a good run. He says, no, no, no. We're going to do it, like I said. The expectation is, is obedience, and so we read in verse 43 of chapter 39 this, that the people brought all the work that they had done as they had built and sewed and made these things, and before they could compile it, they bring it to Moses to look at it, and in verse 43 we see this, and Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it, listen to this, as the Lord had commanded, so they had done it, and Moses blessed them. They didn't take shortcuts, they did what he asked, they didn't do it in, in, immediately, but they did do what he asked. Did the Lord have an expectation of obedience of what he had commanded? And it was saw, it was, it, it was seen through. So we have this scene now of the people receiving undeserved mercy and grace, of, of an individual like Aaron receiving undeserved mercy and grace. And so what we then see come from this is generosity as they are recipients of this, that generosity begins to come forth. Listen to just a few of these verses, um, starting in, in chapter 35, verse 5. So he says, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold and silver and bronze. Go down to verse 21 and 22. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, everyone whose spirit moved him, and they brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for its service for the holy garments. And so they came, men and women, all who were of a willing heart. They brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets and all sorts of gold objects. Every man dedicated an offering of gold to the Lord. Down in 29, so all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, was brought as a free will offering to the Lord. If you go to chapter 36, look at verse um, 3, um, or verse 2. And so Moses called um, every craftsman whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought. They kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning, so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came. Each from their task, and said to Moses, The people have brought more than enough for doing the work. And so the Lord commanded that the Lord has commanded us to do. And so Moses gave command, and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. And then chapter 38, 24 through 31. All the gold that was used for the work in the construction of the sanctuary, the gold from the offering was 29 talents and 730 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. The silver was 100 talents plus 17,75 shekels. And then down in 27 or sorry, verse 29 and the bronze that was offered was 70 talents and 2,400 shekels. So it, just, it begins to list all that was given. And so what we see that was when they received undeserved mercy and undeserved grace and then Moses says hey so we need we need to gather some things to build this place where the presence of God will reside among us the people were like take it all because they knew they didn't deserve it and they brought it every morning they just keep bringing it until Moses cuz the workers are building the the, sanctu- the sanctuary of the tabernacle and they're like Moses like we've got enough we can't, we can't use all this. And it wasn't until then that the people stopped bringing it. Right, that they brought it because they wanted to. This is a natural response to receiving mercy and grace. They couldn't repay it because what was at stake was their lives. They had already received what they could not pay back, was that they had not been consumed by God and God had not left them. It wasn't for their personal glory. It wasn't for gain. They didn't give it to see what they could get back. They had already got back. More than they could ever deserve, more than they could ever repay, was that God was with them and that he had not consumed them. And so they were happy to give abundantly and graciously. Verse 29 tells us that it was a free will offering. It was not out of compulsion. This was not a tax where Moses says, hey, if you want to be a part of the nation, you got to give your portion. He says, give as your heart leads, as your heart guides and they give in abundance. They had been slaves for 400 plus years, building buildings for nothing for the glory of Pharaoh. And when given the opportunity to build something for the glory of God, they gave freely and abundantly and gladly. They were cheerful givers. The, as they went through the talents and the shekels, it was over a ton of gold, it was like 20, almost 2200 pounds of gold that was given over 7,500 pounds of silver, and over 5,300 pounds of bronze. It's not a small amount. It's a generous amount of abundance. We also want to note that they gave from what they had already been given. It wasn't, wasn't really even theirs, they were just stewards of it. Remember back in chapter 12, that as the people were gonna leave Egypt, they, they, Moses tells them that God says, hey, ask of your neighbors, and they basically plunder Egypt, because the neighbors are just like giving them stuff, right, as they leave. And so they're giving from what had already been graciously, undeservedly given to them. They had received gifts after they had been rescued, and they are now using them, right? Like that God had rescued them from Egypt. He then lavishes gifts upon them, and now they're getting to be used for His kingdom and for His glory. We note in these chapters also that it wasn't just that they gave money but they also gave work and they gave time and they gave talents. This is, again, this, this passage is one of those that my redeemer has a core value if we wanna be generous and that we don't just mean that in regards to money, but that, that men and women were using their time and their ability and their talents. This is the God that gave them intelligence and understanding that women were sewing and making and, and the people were giving things that they had because they wanted to honor a God who had graciously rescued them. Verses 25 through 26 right in chapter 35 remind us of the women um, spinning wool and sewing. Verses 30 through 36, listen to what it says. This is in chapter 35. Moses said to the people of Israel, and he calls out to uh, Bezalel and Ohalib, but down in 34. Well, here's what he says about these two. He has filled them with the spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, and cutting stones, for setting, for carving wood, for every work and every skilled craft. For he inspired him to teach, and he has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver, a designer, an embroiderer, or a weaver." He says, like, he specifically put gifts and talents in people to be used for his glory as they were building this, as they're making this. And so would we be reminded this morning that we, we often we talk about people being, like, called of God to be in ministry, that God calls you to your profession as well, right, that he has given you gifts and talents and understandings that are meant to be used to bless people, That he didn't just say that he gave these two artistic ability. It said he also gave them artistic ability and the ability to teach so that they could pass it on. So that they could bless others. And so if you have abundance, it's meant to be given for the benefit of others. And that's not just in money, but it's in time, it's in talents, it's in abilities, it's in giftings. God could have dropped the tabernacle down in the midst of them. It could have been another miracle, right, of just... I've opened the Red Sea, I've done all this stuff, bam, there's my tabernacle. I had to do it to do it right, right? But instead, he invites them to participate in an area where he doesn't have to have them, he allows them to. Right, that we are invited into the work of God. That God uses us, right? Not because of our wisdom, not because of our ability, but he allows the conversations that we have with others to be the thing that brings hope and peace and freedom, and sometimes salvation into their lives. And it wasn't because you were so clever or so winsome, but that God allowed you to be a part of the work that he's doing as he is touching hearts and breaking people free from sin, right, and rescuing them, that we get to be a part of that. We're not just watching from the sidelines. And so we do that through preaching, and we do that through singing, but we also do that through hospitality and having people in our homes. And we do it through gifts and talents that we have to serve people, that the people gave generously because they had received more than they could begin to respond to. So they were rescued, they received lavish gifts, and then they used them for his glory. The question for us is, are you using what you've been given for his glory? To make him known. To, to, to the benefit of others that you would be pointing them to Jesus. So this is going to culminate in this, that at the end, they're going to have a tabernacle constructed that is able to go with them until they're able to build the temple um, generations down the road. And as they walked into the courtyard, if you remember the picture we showed of this a few weeks back, they would have walked into the courtyard after it was constructed and seen the altar, a place of sacrifice, where they would have been reminded that should have been us. That blood, it costs blood. They would also remember Egypt where the Passover occurred and blood was shed for them to be rescued out. And then as they passed by the altar, they would have walked up to the basin where the priests would wash. And they would be reminded that God is consistently cleansing us. And the priests were washing. They would be reminded of the Red Sea, right? They're having this tangible reminder that they had walked through the Red Sea and their enemies were washed away. And then before them would be the holy of holies and the holy place and the most holy place where the presence of god resided which was what the whole point was that was that god would be with them and they would be with them with him but that it costs blood so church this morning as we take this passage out of exodus that can feel really distant if we don't look at it pretty hard And would we remember that we have one who has tabernacled with us, that John 1 says that Jesus has come and dwelt in the flesh, that he has tabernacled with us. And Hebrews 9 would tell us that Jesus is the greater high priest even than Aaron. Why? Because he didn't have to offer sacrifices on his behalf like Aaron did. His sacrifice was enough because he was innocent, and he was righteous, and he was perfect. Aaron offered sacrifices for the rest of his life and then generations of priests did likewise. Jesus did it and then he sat down because it was done. The cross was once and for all. And Aaron did it until he died and Aaron was done. And then other priests did it and then they died. Jesus did it and then he was resurrected and he lives today. Jesus is the better high priest. He is the greater one. He didn't walk into a, a tabernacle built by human hands. He walked into the very throne room of God, right, because he was holy and righteous and perfect. And so we then are called to be a kingdom of priests, right? And so the language of the New Testament often gets lost if we haven't spent time looking at places like Exodus. That is as the kingdom of priests, that means you're invited into his presence, Because of what Jesus has secured on your behalf through his death and his resurrection and his perfect life, that you now have access to the Holy One, to God, through the Spirit, and through his sacrifice. That you are clothed in Christ's righteousness. Right, As, as Aaron was clothed in these great robes that would have set him apart in distinction, he was still guilty. You're clothed in Christ's perfect righteousness. And so when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus' perfection that your sin has been paid for. And so that's why you have access. That's why you have the right to intercede on behalf of others as priests would have done. And it's why Romans 12 would say that then we are living sacrifices. We don't make sacrifices because the sacrifice has been done but we become living sacrifices as we live out the gifts and the talents that we've been given. We are offering worship and praise to God. And so you do that not just on Sunday morning for an hour, but the, with the integrity that you raise your children with, the kindness and the graciousness that you offer them, the undeserved mercy is worship. And the integrity that you show at work as you are working with a work ethic and, with, and hard, you're working like for the Lord, not just for your boss, is worship. And the way that you interact with your neighbors who, who know Jesus and the way you interact with your neighbors who don't know Jesus, right, is either you're trusting God and you're showing yourselves to be a worshiper, faithful to him, or you're trusting yourself. Right, and these are our living sacrifices. And so Hebrews says that it is a sacrifice of praise that we offer to him, and so I know that is, could be a whole nother sermon, okay? But I'm gonna stop. I hope this week in gospel community that we will dig into that a little bit of what it looks like now is for us to be a kingdom of priests, clothed in Christ's righteousness, to live as living sacrifices, making a sacrifice of praise to God. Like what does that look like now, Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, not just on Sunday morning, for us to be a family, pursuing Jesus. Let me pray for us.